Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. I want to take a break just for today from our looking at at Colossians um, 2. I want to thank you, though, for the response that some of you have had dealing with legalism. And it has seemed to have uncovered quite a bit of history in some people's lives and Hopefully the Lord will set you free. And so, praise the Lord for that. But this week, uh, this week has reminded me, and it should remind you, of the cost of missions. Especially to our works in Africa, and I will not be any more specific today than that, for the sake of the tape. But you know, in 2010, we... We stepped out, and the Lord allowed that to happen. And as I mentioned earlier, as was said to us, you stepped on Satan's territory. What did you expect him to say or to reply? Time, money, financial burden is, uh, is often as heavy as the gospel itself. In the last five or so years, nearly or over a half a million dollars has poured into that part of Africa through us. And as you know, most of that coming from an outside source, even there. But the Lord has His people. The call of missions, both here and abroad, a call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, requires a willingness to do that. But it also requires an eagerness a willingness to give and a willingness to go. You know, the Lord said that, that the, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest would send forth laborers into His harvest. Where do you think those laborers come from? They come from us. They come from your family and from my family. That's where the laborers come from. And, and, and we're often willing to pray for your kids to go. Right? Yeah, that's good for your kids. Okay? We have an elder who spends just about a a third of his time in Africa. And as you know, this this time was not not sent off with in great health, but the Lord's faithful. Our confidence in in missions is we realize that it's not our gospel, is it? The Lord's gospel. It's not our gospel not our interpretation of the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel He proclaimed. It's, in, it's not in our strength that we go. Because we have none. Right? Got as much, got as much strength as we have faith. If you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed. That doesn't mean you have faith the size of a mustard seed. It means you have none. Right? And where's our strength today? It's not in our ability or in our ingenuity. How do, how do we do it? It's a daunting task. As Bob and I have more than more than time talked about, it's a bottomless pit. There, there, there is no limit to what could be poured in this field, but you multiply that times tens of thousands of places around the world. It's not our gospel, it's not our strength, it's not our ability. And it's not our authority, is it? We don't go in our authority. What authority do we have? We have none. But He has all authority. Amen. All authority. To Christ there is no such thing as closed borders. That's right. Right? This is the cost and the call and the confidence of not in ourselves but in the One who saves Turn to Matthew chapter 28 as you hold yourself placed there in Acts chapter 1. We often refer to this as the Great Commission, and and in fact it is in Matthew chapter 28. But too often we call the Great Commission verse 19 and verse 20. The Great Commission does not begin in verse 19. It begins in verse 18. right. Right? Because Jesus said to them, All authority is given unto me. All power. All authority, all weight, all influence, all privilege is His and His alone, granted to Him by 
His Father. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's what's been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. We don't go by ourselves. Amen. We go and dwell by the Holy Spirit. He lives in us and we go even to the end of the age. See, the one with all authority is sending us out to reach the world with the gospel with a guaranteed success. Right? And as Calvinists, we believe that. We believe that it's not a, it's not a, a cut against missions. It's a guarantee of missions that God will accomplish everything He said He's going to do. He's going to, he's going to have people in heaven from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Amen. Guaranteed. Because it's His work. It's His power. It's His Word. It's His Spirit. It's His, his work and His work alone. I guess I should say a guaranteed measure of success. You remember when, and we'll look at this in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit did come upon them and how many souls were added that one day? 3,000 souls added that day. Man, what a day. I'd love to sing that, wouldn't you? Okay, What What a spectacle that was. And then reality sets in where are you going to do with all these people? Yeah. <laughs> That's where my mind goes. <laughs> what are you going to do with all these people? Where are you going to meet? You can't cram 3,000 people in most places. You're going to have to bust them up. And you've got to get people over this group and over this group. And then you've got to determine what's being taught. This is a nightmare. <laughs> but it always wasn't like that measured success, was it? When Paul went to other places, sometimes it was just... One or two. In Acts chapter 8, you know the story of the Philippian jailer? He and his whole family were saved. And the next day, what did they do to Paul? Threw him out. Of course, there was Lydia prior to that, right? Just two. Just two. My burden this morning is for us to understand in Acts chapter 1 this text in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's important that you understand the text this morning what is being taught and what is not being taught in this text. I want you to know the truth of what it means. In other words, what the text says, and then secondly, what it means by what it says, and then lastly, the the task. How does it apply to me? But I, I want to tell you that today, we're often in our pulpits too quick to jump to how the task applies to me without understanding first the text and the truth behind the text. And I believe most of the time that's at the fault of the preacher. The text before us today has become the marching orders for the church. I don't know how many times in missions conferences I've heard it. Okay, you're Jerusalem, that's your town. In Judea, that's your state. In Samaria, that's your country. And the other most parts of the earth. Is that what Jesus is teaching in this text? Should we ask, what is our Jerusalem? What is our Judea? What is our Samaria? What is the other most parts of the earth? Yes, in the end, yes. The application of the text is may very well be a great application. And I think it is. But I'm not sure that this is what Jesus is doing in his text. See, the text isn't about you. I know that's a shocker, but it's not. Jesus isn't talking to you directly. This text is not about a battle plan to reach the end of the world. 
It's not what the text is about. This text is not about coming up with how providence can fulfill the text by reaching our Jerusalem and our Judea and other most parts of the earth. That's not the point of the text. You know, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, I was looking earlier. It's, I, I get distracted during the songs too. Um, in John chapter 19, don't, don't turn to this. John chapter 19. This, you know, this is the crucifixion text, right? John 19. What if I was preaching on this text and I read verses, the latter part of verse well, 16 and 17 and, and he would deliver it over to them to be crucified and so they took Jesus and went up and bearing his own cross to the place of the skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And I read that text and then immediately I said to you, alright, we're going to talk about what your cross is to bear. Or what is your Golgotha? Without ever saying anything about the atonement. Without ever saying anything about redemption. Without ever ever mentioning salvation. Is that text in John 19 about your cross to bear and Golgotha? No, it's not. It's not about you. It's about Christ and what He's accomplishing on it. Well, I submit to you that this text too is not about you. It's not about me. Timing wise, obviously this is Jesus has already died for our sins, just like he said he would. Jesus has already risen from the dead, just like he said he would. Jesus has already been seen by witnesses. Jesus is about to return to heaven and reign from there, just like he said he would. Yes. And from His throne, He's going to accomplish the salvation of all nations just like He said He would. And from His throne, He will come back and judge the world just like He said He would. But His disciples, like us, are more interested in when than what. Right? Look at verse 7. Verse 6, Acts 1 verse 6, And so when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Remember, this is the question that's been upon their lips for, for, for literally for a couple of years now. Remember, two brothers had to get their parents to go and ask, Hey, would you grant to my son to sit on one on your right hand, one on your left? And what was the response of the other disciples? They were irritated. Why? Because they didn't get to ask the question first. See, their idea of salvation was the salvation, the rescue of Israel from Rome. And Jesus didn't come for that. That's right. And I'm afraid too much of us, too, are more interested of when than what. We want to know when the Lord's coming back. We, 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 we enjoy studying end times. We're, we're going to have, pretty soon, we're going to have the elders, and I'm going to add a couple of other people to it, and we're, we're going to talk about the, the three or four views of eschatology. And if you come away with that going, well, I figured out when, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> well, I'll get Harry to. We get, don't we? we you, 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 you look in this county, you have prophetic conferences, you'll pack it out. You have conferences about how being a great soul winner and very few will show up. Because we're more interested in when. And, and let, me, let me say this too in passing, that that's not a bad question in the sense of, I do want to know when he's coming back. The older I get, tomorrow would be good. Today would be even better. Right? And then I think about family that doesn't know the Lord. Yes. And my prayer changes to not, the, not today, Lord, please, not today. Right? But notice the Lord's answer in verse 7. This is not for you to know. 
times and seasons that the Father has fixed, set, established by His own authority, by His own power. He set them. It's not for you to know. In the area of eschatology, some have, what are you? I don't know. I've got problems with all of you. I just know the Lord said He's coming back. But I don't know when and you don't either. We're just told to occupy till He comes, right? But here in this text, this is not a missionary strategy verse. Not its main purpose. We're missing what's happening in verse 8. What does verse 1 8 say and mean? The Great Commission. If it were a Great Commission, you would find commands in the text. You find commands in Matthew text, Matthew 19 and 20. You do not find any commands in this text. All of the you shall, look at it, verse 8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and you will be, I'm going to add the words back, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, and you will be my witnesses in Samaria, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. None of that is commands. It is future tense verbs. In other words, they're predictions. Now, does Jesus predict things that don't happen? No. Does He prophesy about things that don't happen? No. no, they will happen. And what He's saying to these disciples, these eleven that are left, you will receive power. Yes. And you will be My witnesses. Yes. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, as much as you hate to go, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Yes. You will. And by the way, let me say in passing, the word witness, we get our word martos from it in its root, which means what? Martyr. Martyr. Was that true about these disciples? Yes. Every one of them. You will be my martyrs in Jerusalem. You will be my martyrs in Judea. You will be my martyrs in Samaria. And you will be my martyrs in the uttermost parts of the earth. You will receive power. This is a fulfillment, really, of John 1, isn't it? Remember when John the Baptist says, He that comes after me, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. When the Lord baptizes us, He baptizes us in the Spirit. He, he transforms us individually and corporately. Yes. Individually, we, we, we come to life. We are declared to be the, the temple of God, of the living God. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, several texts I'm going to run through quick. 1, 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse um, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's Spirit dwells where? In you. Or chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 19. Paul almost repeating himself, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Or even to the book of Romans in Romans chapter 8. In verse 11, I'm moving quickly. If the Spirit of Himself who has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells within you. Or Paul's final letter 
to Timothy, his final letter at all, but his final letter, especially to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14, he says to Timothy, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and He would dwell in you. What what a radical term. Remembering that Old Testament economy that, that God existed in that temple, in that tabernacle, in that holy of holies. That's where He was. And only the priest could go in once a year. And you may be in the habit of bringing and needed to to bring sacrifices and you realize that this whole system is nothing but to frustrate you. As you brought another sacrifice, you realize I'm still not in. I still can't get in and I still got to come back. Oh, for a perfect sacrifice that would take away my sins forever. And when Jesus died, that temple veil was rent from what? Top to bottom. So, hey, that means we could get in. Yeah, but it meant God came out. And now He dwells in us. Through the Spirit, we become priests and temples and fellow kings with God. We become the gospel person. We become the Bible person to communicate what it is to have the right and the power to do that. We get to read and to understand, to love and to understand His Word because the Spirit of God now lives in us. The author of the book now takes up residence in us. Lives are changed. I look across this small crowd by all practical purposes and I know most of your stories. And I know some of your stories come with a lot of scars. You might consider yourself the worst of sinners or you might even be a convicted criminal or a thief or a liar, even an adulterer, and God came into your life and made you whole. He transformed you. And now He lives in you. But not only individually, but corporately. We're now members of another family, right? Yes. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has heard enough about the, who's of Apollos and who's, who's this guy and who's this guy. And Paul's, he's sick of it all. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse, I'll read in verse 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning of verse 12. Just as the body is one and many members and all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For we are one spirit. We were all baptized into one body. Wait a minute. Baptized by who? Christ. There are neither Jews nor Greek. It makes no difference about your race. Race is gone. Slave or free, your class has nothing to do with it. But we have been made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. We're now a family. We've been adopted. We spent a long time talking about that a few weeks ago. Adopted. Race doesn't matter. Class doesn't matter. I'm a full member of authority and rights have been laid upon me in the life of this family. Back to our book of Acts. This is his first prediction. And I would submit to you that the other ones will never happen without the first one. The first prediction and all the others will depend upon this one prediction, this one prophecy that the Holy Spirit will now come upon you. And the disciples are going to turn the world upside down by what power? I mean, have you met these guys? I I wouldn't want to go on a hunting party with these guys. Much less look at these 11 guys and say, you're going to turn the world upside down. (laughs) With, there got to be more people than this. And there got to be different people than this. You think these apostles could do it on their own power? No, they couldn't even hang around for the crucifixion. Right? 
they're still all over the place. Even after Jesus has, has resurrected and shown Himself to them, they're still scattered. They still don't know what's going on. And Jesus says to them, I'm going to use you to reach the world. These apostles will turn Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. He will use them to turn the world upside down. In Jerusalem and Judea, He will confront their fears. In Samaria, He will confront their racism. And in the world, He'll confront their inability. And you can say that about all of them. The Holy Spirit empowering us, fulfilling in us, this is the only way this is going to happen. And that will happen. And the Holy Spirit did come, didn't He? Ten days later, the Holy Spirit did show up. Look over at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. And we know the Holy Spirit did come. And He did fill them. I'll just pick up in reading and... Let me just 41. I could go earlier than this. So those who received the word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers and all filled every soul and many wonders and signs were being done among through the apostles and all who believed came together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing proceeds to all that had need and day by day attending the temple teaching Together and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day all those who were being saved. He did that. But you'll be my witnesses. First to Jerusalem, and I'm going to group it together, Jerusalem and Judea. Remember 40 days approximately earlier some men had Jesus crucified. They were still in power. They still existed. I'm thinking that maybe the apostles were thinking there's 11 more crosses out there for us. But would they successfully evangelize Jerusalem and Judea? Yeah, two, three thousand souls in one day, and it and it goes on, and day by day the Lord of those who are being saved. Can you imagine the fear that was in them to go into Jerusalem? I mean, they had hidden that week before and even the week of of Jesus' crucifixion. They were in hiding, fearful, and Jesus is saying, You're going to be my witnesses there. Right there, you're going to be, it's where it's going to start. I'm going to use you as I empower you with the Spirit to reach Jerusalem and Judea. But then he goes on, he doesn't stop there. That would have been enough, right? Okay, that's good. We, that's close to home. You know, I've got family around here, I've got places to stay, I can work, I can, I can catch fish, I can do these things. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, not only in Jerusalem and Judea, but in Samaria. Oh, no, no, no. Not Samaria. One author said, if Jerusalem and Judea were scary, Samaria was just gross. One guy said, gag. Lord, don't, don't you know about those Samaritans? They're half-breeds at best. They're not good people, Lord. In fact, we find out that the apostles aren't the ones who started reaching the Samaritans. Who was it? It was Philip. Right? Remember? Philip's the one. Philip went. Look over at Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. (laughs) 
beginning in verse 4, and those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ, the Christ. And the crowds of one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they had heard and they saw the signs that he did, for the unclean spirits crying out with loud voices came out of many, and they had, and many were, were paralyzed or lame, were healed. And so there was great joy in the city. Hey, God's doing it. God's, God's, God's got His people going. Why? Because it's the Lord who gives the success in ministry, not us. Can you imagine going without this? Can can you imagine going without a book in your hand? Other than books of the Old Testament where they could preach Christ from the Old Testament, show Him the New, but can you imagine going now on a mission trip without this? That's what they did. And God took that word and He burned it in people's hearts and He converted them by His grace and for His glory, by His power alone. These Samaritans were theologically incorrect. They were morally horrible. And these disciples were racist at best. But here Jesus in Acts 1 is predicting that the dagger of the gospel will plunge into the heart of not only those of the Samaritans, but will plunge into the heart of his own disciples and confront their racism. And their ethnic superiority. You know, we need the dagger of that to confront our own racism has no place in the church, has no place in our lives. I know we're frustrated about our border, and we should be. But can we look at it from the standpoint that maybe Jesus is bringing the mission field to us? How can we reach them? I know churches in in New York and other places that are being overrun with them all. I know good churches there are going going to say, rather than complaining, let's evangelize. It's almost like the Lord will say, well, if you're not willing to go, I'll bring them to you. Right? Some of us were raised in the deep south. Racism was a way of life. And God had to confront that in you. Regardless of the color of their skin, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. One writer said you cannot be a committed racist and a committed Christian at the same time. That's right. Any more than you could be a committed murderer and a committed Christian, or a committed adulterer, and a committed Christian. The church should be the place that celebrates all kinds of race and culture that is being transformed by the grace of God, that we love to love one another because they're God's people, because He's bringing people of every tongue, tribe, and nation together, just like He promised So Jerusalem and Judea would have confronted their fears and Samaria their racism, but how about the ends of the earth? How's that going to happen? I I mean, I've I've got enough scratching in my head trying to figure out, and that's the way I I try to figure out, how how are we going to do what we need to do in Southern Africa? How are you going to do that? This past, yeah, sit. It's by the power of God. I felt like this week I was playing ten, uh, chess from 10,000 miles away. I'm trying to move this person, get this person picked up on the phone, and I thank the Lord for WhatsApp and all of those things, but I've come to understand you can't do anything except the Lord. Amen. And by the way, We often look at this text, as I said, we apply it before we understand it. We make ourselves Jerusalem. 
and we're not. We are the other outermost parts of the earth. Did you know that you can get a little further away from Jerusalem than we are, but not much? Can you imagine, do you know what North Carolina looked like in the year 33? You talk about wilderness. And you think about that. He's sitting there with 11 guys scared to death. And because they did what God had empowered them to do, you and I sit here today. Yes. Think about that. Yes. Think about that. Think about the power of the gospel to shape the world. Our country, 2,000 years later, at the most remote. It's shocking prediction. How can it come to pass? How, how, can, this, how can this be? Let me shake you a little bit more. The Center for Global Christian Advance is located in Boston. Crunches numbers about Christianity. And it measured for the last 125 years and came up basically with some type of mathematical formula. I can look at what God did during these times and press it upon this. And here, let me, let me say something. I, I'm on a... Not every week, every day, but I'm on a, a, a united prayer thing through Sermon Audio. It's a, it's a great time. And I, I listen to people pray, and, 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 and I know we, I pray for revival here in Ashborough. I do. I pray that the Lord would use our church to reach people and more and more people, that the Lord would save 3,000 souls in one day and fill us up and give us that kind of problem. I, I pray for that. I pray that you pray for that. Many times we don't see that and we wonder, is the Lord doing anything? I've got to tell you, He's doing a lot. Yes. You don't know anything about yes. From 1900 to 1970, that 70 year period, and these are confessing Christians, not, not statistics from missionaries who say they went out and got people to raise their hand. These are people who are saying that they're believers. You may want to take half of them. I don't know what the statistic, I know what the numbers say. You can welcome to take half of it if you want. But still, in, in, in 1900, there were 8.5 million professing Christians in Africa. And in 70 years, that number went to 100 and 12 million professing Christians. In Asia, there were 20 million in 1900, and in 1970, there were 90 million professing Christians. So that in the world, we had gone from 558 million professing Christians in the world in 1900 to 1.2 billion Christian professing Christians in 1970. From the year 2000 to the year, and I have to project some of this, to the year 2025, we've gone from 363 million professing Christians in Africa to 730 million Christians in Africa. That's 40,000 people a day. Even if you took half of it. Wow. In Asia, 275 million goes to 400 million. That's between 14 and 15,000 people a day. In the world then, 1.9 billion to 2.6 billion. That's 76,000 people a day are coming to the truth of the gospel. What do they project by year 2020, 2050? They project that we'll go from, in Africa, from 730 million to 1.3 billion people that are professing believers. That's 60,000 people a day. And in just a little bit of Africa that we deal with, I believe it to be so. 
Some would say we. I remember one guy was saying we could start a church a year. We could chart. We could start a church a day in Africa. Four hundred million in Asia, two thousand twenty-five. They project five hundred and sixty-six, uh, uh, sixty-seven million. That's eight thousand, eighteen thousand people a day in Asia. Or if you want to take the world from two point six billion to three point four billion, that's eighty-eight thousand people a day and become professing believers in Christ. And again, you may take half of that. That's fine. But God is building His church, right? Because that's what He said He would do. Spurgeon didn't have these numbers, but Spurgeon, I read it several times, Spurgeon believed there would be more people in heaven than hell. But folks, we're coming to the end of this prediction. Has... The gospel reached the uttermost parts of the earth. Yes. You're proof. I'm proof. How many times is he going to do that? Could have done it once. This prediction has come to pass. Did they reach Jerusalem and Judea? Yes. Did they reach Samaria? Yes. And has the gospel gone to the ends of the earth? Yes. It has. So what does that mean? It means Jesus is Lord. Yes. Right? That He is all-powerful. Yes. The Bible is trustworthy. Yes. That there will be in heaven people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will come to Christ just like Jesus said yes. they would. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. Amen. It depends on Him. Is there an application here? Yeah. There is, but it's not that we're just... I think the application will be stated this way. If you're not saved, you need to be saved today. All those who call upon the name of the Lord, right. That's a promise. If you're here without Christ and you don't know Him as Lord and Savior and treasure of your life, He promised if you'll call on Him, He'll save you. You can be saved today. And I would tell you, I would warn you though, the end is coming. It's not for you to know when or what or how, but it is coming. Number two, as a Christian, this means to us, if this is true, if this prediction, if this prophecy is true, that the power did come upon them, that they were witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and other most parts of the earth, if that's true, then I can trust God in all of His promises. And number three. In the next 100 years, not even that, but I'll just extend it that far, past this prophecy, past this prediction by the Lord, all the apostles are dead. Some, some didn't labor long. I've been to Albania, been to a Roman Colosseum there where Titus was fed to lions. Folks, our life is a vapor. Appears for a while, vanishes away. That behooves us to make Christ known 
in the time that we have. Go and make God real in your corner of the world. God has you living where you live by purpose. God has you here. And listen, number two, and your life is a vapor, but number two, you're guaranteed some measure of success. And it may be just one. But that one needed salvation. You may labor like we labor, and we don't see many, do we? And yet you could go to Africa and they see hundreds every day coming to Christ. So that Pastor Juma says, I, we don't know how to disciple them this quick. But the same God's doing it all. What He promised He will do. And if there is an application here, it is to us to go and make Christ known. Go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 9 And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of sight. Do you think the disciples had a few questions to ask? Wait! How are we going to... We're going to do what? We're going to go where? How how are we going to do this? They got the answer ten days later when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they got the power to do it. And they were faithful to the end. The question to us then is providence. And you personally, are you faithful to the end? God's promised. If you know Christ... You know the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. What kind of witness are you? What kind of witness are you? Father, we thank you for your promise. And Lord, you did it. You you sent your Spirit to indwell them and to indwell us. And Lord, you literally, Acts says, they took note that these were ignorant and unlearned men. We would say, yeah, that's the group I belong in. But they took note that they had been with Christ. Do people take note that we've been with you? Father, you've given us your spirit. You've given us the ability to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world. What kind of witnesses are we? Father, these men, not by any stretch of imagination, perfect, even after. But they took the word to the ends of the earth, as far as they knew. And Lord, what a miracle it is. We sit here thousands of miles away from Jerusalem gathered together as believers with those 11 disciples. Wow. Not what a great work they did, but what a mighty God we serve. Father, help us to be faithful in these final days. And Lord, if there's one here, and I know there are, that do not know You as Lord and Savior and treasure of their life, help them to realize their life is but a vapor. You're here for a while and you vanish away. Then it's too late. Father, may they call upon You today. For today is the day of salvation. Lord, we plead for Your Holy Spirit to awaken them from the dead. Grant their dead hearts life in their dark hearts, bring on the light. 
Father, that they may see you and fall and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, as us as believers, what kind of life are we living? That same power has been granted to us. Father, I pray for Africa. I pray that as that power goes forth there, and Lord, we're seeing hundreds of people coming to know the Lord weekly. And we rejoice, and Lord, we long for that here. We beg for it here. Lord, you said that that happens because the wind blows, and we can't tell where it's going or where it's going. Father, we're pleading for the Spirit of God to blow here. Not only amongst Providence, but amongst Ashborough. Father, we live in a wicked, wicked world that needs the gospel. And I know, like these disciples, we cowered in fear. Lord, you said all authority has been granted to you by your Father. All authority. We go in that kind of power. Father, help us to realize our life is too just like a vapor. Three score and ten, maybe. Help us to occupy it till you come. Help us to use our treasures and our talents and our abilities for the advancement of your kingdom. For that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Thank you, Father, for the promise of your word and the fulfillment of it. Because it's happened and is happening even today. Because salvation is a work of your spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.